Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. All right, what's up, City Alliance? How y'all doing? Also, can we just say what's up to everyone watching on Facebook? What's up, Facebook? So good to have you here with us today, whether you're in person or online, watching on the beach. So that's why I assume if you're watching online, you're on a beach somewhere getting tan. I don't need to tan, so I'm good to be here. Um, well, listen, if this is your first time here, my name is Nathan. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at City Alliance Church. And uh, as you've heard, we are kicking off a brand new series called, let's all say it together, Asking for a Friend. Any of you ever used that phrase before? Anyone? Okay, a few of you have. Awesome. I know it's kind of something that we see kind of in social media. And really what this series is about is we want to tackle some of your questions. Uh, maybe some of the questions that we find in culture or questions that maybe some of your friends have asked you. And so we've actually gone on social media. We've thrown out, hey, your questions. And we've gotten some comments. We've gotten some likes. We've gotten some feedback. But, you know, this is a term that we see in culture. Maybe you've seen memes like this one, asking for a friend. Always in quotes, right? Uh, this is from, like, uh, Austin Powers. Those of you who grew up in the 90s, you may remember that. But, you know, there's all these kind of memes. And if you, you know, if you follow different folks in our church, some people here are famous for memes. But here's uh, some other memes I thought really kind of captured this side. This is a biblical meme right here. Check Check this out. Does anyone know which page of the Bible explains how to turn water into wine? <laughs> Asking for a friend. Some of you are like, is there a craft beer section there, right? Uh, or how about this one? This is actually a really helpful one. Do you guys eat your burgers with or without the peel? Some of you are like, I'm asking for a friend. See, so we're going after some really hard-hitting questions in this series here. But uh, as uh, Seth and Sarah said before, I want to cast a little bit of vision for this series because questions are good. And, uh, you know, maybe you have a family member, maybe you have a friend who's maybe, uh, like, you know, like you said, they're close to you, but maybe they're far from God. Maybe they're struggling with some questions. And this is an opportunity for you to engage them. Say, hey, why don't you come to church with me as we're kind of going through this series. And so you probably got a couple of these cards. You can grab a couple of them. Grab them, put in your pocket. You can take them to the gym, put them on a community forum. But it's a great way for folks to maybe connect in the community with that. Or you can share one of our messages online on Facebook because the reality is, we, we all have questions. And most of us, especially a lot of the bigger questions, we're always afraid to ask them. So what we found is one of the ways that people ask questions is through Google. Any of you ever use Google or YouTube to ask questions? Yeah, all of us have, right? It's like, how do I fix my sink, right? We go, or, you know, why should runners, you know, all this different stuff here. We ask questions. Google will sometimes fill in the blanks for us. But it's because we kind of want to ask these questions. Even the bigger questions of life, people are going to Google and YouTube. But here's what I find fascinating about that. Even though people are going to Google and YouTube trying to answer these questions, researchers have found this. Even the big questions of life, people will still go to other people to ask those questions. Questions about meaning, purpose. Is there a God? Does he exist? Does he love me? They'll ask those questions to folks in their lives that they trust. They'll ask those questions to you. And so it's important for us to remember this, that questions... Are important. So, so when you are asking for a friend, you may be having friends who are looking for answers. They're, they're trying to figure out stuff with life. But maybe you grew up in a tradition where you were taught not to ask questions. 
Maybe you're even shamed for having questions. I, I just want to again say this. We, we want to make sure this is really, really clear. Questions are healthy, amen? Questions are important because questions demonstrate ownership. It means you're taking ownership of your faith. It's, it's my faith. It's not my parents' faith. It's, it's my faith, not my church's faith. It is my relationship with God. And so you may be asking for a friend, but maybe there's some questions that you've been wrestling with. There's some doubts that you've been struggling with. But guys, I want you to know this, that your questions, they're not something that's on the side or on the fringe. Your questions are actually an act of worship. I love when you look at the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, it says this. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, let's all say this together, all your mind. So God values critical thinking. God doesn't want you to check your brain at the door before you come in to church. He wants you to think because that is an act of worship. So if you're here or you're watching online, maybe you're wrestling with some doubts. I want to encourage you to bring them out. Post them on our social media. Email them to me. Maybe write them in the comments card and drop them in the blue box back there so we can wrestle with you, with you in those questions. Maybe even try to answer some of them. So I want to share with you a little bit where we're going for the first two weeks because we're kind of still crowdsourcing some questions. So this week the question we're going to look at is this. Is can I trust the Bible? Uh, for, for many of us, the Bible is incredibly important for our faith. It's how we know about life and how to follow Jesus. So we're going to ask, can I trust the Bible? And then next week, we're going to look at this question, which is this. Are we living in the last days? Y'all, I'm excited about that question, man. That's going to be fun. So I want to encourage you, come back next week because this, we've got an answer to this one, and it's an urgent one. So I want to encourage you next week, we're going to tackle that one. But, you know, like I said, you know, during the series, I threw on Facebook, hey, what are some of your questions? What are some of your doubts? What are the things that you are wrestling with? And so that's why I want to start with this one, can I trust the Bible. Because, that's right, we're going there. Because check this out, this is one of the first questions I got, which was this. Someone posted, you go to the next slide here. How come the Bible is the written word of God, but people interpret scripture differently? If God said it, why change it? And maybe at one point or another, we've all wrestled with questions about what is the Bible? Why, why is it important? Why should I really be reading it and understanding it? And, and if we can be really, really honest, maybe you grew up in church. And maybe you grew up in a Bible-believing church that taught the scriptures faithfully every single week. But in your heart of hearts, you're quite, your answer to that question is this. I don't know. I don't know if I can trust the Bible. I, I, maybe, maybe not. I, I'm not sure. And everyone has an opinion about the Bible. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I was at the gym the other day, and I was talking with someone who's like, you know, he found out I was a pastor, and he's like, dude, how can you believe the Bible? It's this old, ancient book. It was written thousands and thousands of years ago. Aren't there tons of mistakes in there? Like, how can you really believe that the words in your Bible are the ones that were written after all that stuff happened? It's a fair question. I think he even said that. Doesn't science disprove the Bible? One of the things that I see a lot when I go online, most of my friends that I went to high school and college and, and seminary with, they're all kind of in, in, in some ways losing their faith. And, and what's coming up is they're, having, they're, they're sharing these really awful horror stories of how growing up the Bible was used to manipulate them. It was used as a weapon to condemn and to judge and to crush. In fact, one of the things that we have to grapple with as followers of Jesus is how this book has been weaponized against groups of people. We have to own that. The Bible has been used to, to weaponize against LGBTQ people, 
The Bible has been weaponized against blacks and minorities. The Bible has been weaponized against women. Now, the, now here's the thing. That's abuse. Now, the answer to abuse is not no use. It's proper use. The proper use of Scripture. Or, or maybe some of you in here are like, Nathan, I don't have a problem with the Bible. Like, I, I love the Bible. I read it. It, it transforms my life. But I couldn't tell you why I believe it. I just do. I, I just do. I, I can't tell you. I wish I had more reasons. But I just, I just, I just believe this book. And so I think even as followers of Jesus, it's good to have a reminder of why we can trust the Bible. Guys, I remember um, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 14 years old. Uh, someone invited me to youth group, and they led me to the Lord, and that kind of changed my life. And one of the first things that happened when I became a follower of Jesus is I started to devour the scriptures. Like, I could not get enough. I was reading it, and I was studying it, I was memorizing it, and this book was literally changing my life. And, and you know, let me, in fact, let me show you this. This is like a trip down memory lane. This is actually my high school Bible, or what's left of it. How many of you guys had the Bible covers from the 90s? Any of you? That's right. Yeah, a couple of us, we had the Bible covers. You'd put your, your notebook and pens and your love notes in here. I don't know what, what you put in there. So anyway, this is my Bible cover, and I literally need this now because, like, my Bible is in, like, two, three, three pieces here. Like, I, I literally used the thing till it fell apart. But, you know, I think you guys heard that saying, a, a Bible that's fallen apart means someone who owns it is not not falling apart. I don't know if that's true, but you know, uh, my Bible definitely fell apart. But I love this book. This book changed my life. I would actually take this book with me, and I would take it to high school, and I'd put it on my desk at homeroom. And people would ask me, teachers would be like, dude, what, what, what is that? I'd say, it's a Bible. We'd have a conversation. And, and a lot of times, the conversations would be like, dude, didn't science disprove the Bible? Like, how can you believe this book? Like, do you really buy into this stuff? And I wouldn't always have the answers. I wouldn't know what to say back. I didn't have, like, the perfect apologetic response. All I could say was this. Guys, this book changed my life. I am reading this book, and I am not the same person I was yesterday. I'm not the same person I am today the more I read it and memorize it and study it. And, and sometimes that was the only response I could give to people because this book wasn't like other books. This book was God-breathed. God breathed on this book. And so for me, that's all I needed. So when we actually look and see what does the Bible actually say about itself, there's a passage in 2 Timothy 3 that I think answers that question for us. Let's go ahead and look at that. It says this, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. So let me just pause real quick, give a little background here. Timothy is a young pastor. And he's struggling with confidence. He's like, you know, I'm new to this pastor thing. Like, how do I do this? And he's really struggling with this. And so his mentor is this guy, Paul. Paul is like the greatest church leader of all time. And so Paul is writing him these words, and he's saying this, continue in what you've learned. He goes on to say this. And, from, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is, let's all say this together, God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be, let's all say this together, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, I love this passage because for me, this kind of settles it for me personally about why I think I can trust the Bible. Let's break this down a little bit. It says in this first verse here, continue in what you have learned. So Paul's saying, Timothy, continue what you've learned. Well, what did he learn? He, he learned the scriptures. But look at what it says here. It says, because you know those, oh, go back, because you know those from whom you learned it. So 
Timothy, we actually know who taught Timothy the Bible. You know who it was? It was his grandmother and his mom. See, Timothy's dad wasn't a believer. So his mom and his grandmother, they, they taught him the scriptures from an early, early age. I just want to say right now, if you're a single mom right now, and you're struggling to get your kids to city kids, and you're kind of fighting that battle, don't give up. You could be raising a Timothy in your midst, amen? You could be raising a future church leader. Don't give up. And so Paul goes on, he says this, he says, From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know, Timothy had this spiritual heritage. He had these parents, his, his mom and his grandmother, they followed the God of the Bible and they eventually followed Jesus. And so when it was time for him to make a decision to follow Christ, it was easy. Maybe you grew up in a Christian household. You have that heritage of faith. So for you, you knew where to go when you needed those answers to those big questions. Just like Timothy was able to. He was able to go to Scripture, and Scripture pointed him to Jesus. He was able to go to Jesus for that story. That story that changed his life. And Paul wraps up this section where he says this. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, not only does the Scripture point to the story of Jesus, it's not abstract. It's useful. The Scriptures are useful. They, they teach us how we can follow God. They, they, they correct us when we need correcting. And I know that for some of us, this is a great reminder that this is not a normal book. This is a God-breathed book. Amen? It's a book that was, had the miraculous birth in that sense. In fact, Peter, who's another church leader, he says this about the Bible. He says this, You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I love this phrase, carried along by the Holy Spirit. There was this partnership where, where God literally would, would use these men and women who wrote the scriptures. He would use their experiences. He would use their writing style. In fact, one of the things we know about the writers of the Bible is they were some of the most creative literary geniuses of their time. Forty different authors, three different languages, uh, three different continents, all coming together within 1,500 years writing this book that God breathed. The Bible that you have the books in it is the, is the Bible that we need. It speaks to us. It speaks to our deepest longings and yearnings in life. And maybe some of you are like, yeah, Nathan, I get that. You know, I, I grew up in church and I followed Jesus. I, I believe that. But, but are there some reasons maybe outside of the Bible why I should believe the Bible is God's word? Like why I can trust the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we actually have archaeological evidence that supports the Bible. In fact, if you have a friend, maybe you're asking for a friend who's saying, you know, why can't I trust the Bible? Here's what I'd say to your friend. I'd say, why don't you sit back? I'm going to make you a pour over coffee because this is going to take a while. And I'm going to walk you through why you could trust the Bible. And, you know, usually when this happens, or if you want to go a little bit deeper here, we have to examine the science of textual criticism. How many of you are like, man, I can't wait to go to church and learn textual criticism? Who's, who's excited about textual criticism? Okay, like three of us are. Great. That's awesome. Some of you, I saw your eyes glaze over, right? So get some water, stay hydrated, all right? But listen, listen, I, I know for some people this is going to be really exciting. For other people, you're like, you know, hang in there with me. This will make sense. And maybe it won't make sense for you, but maybe it'll make sense for someone who's asking some of these questions. Because here's the thing, the, the science of textual criticism, it's not just about the, the manuscripts of the Bible, it's about all ancient manuscripts. 
And what, one of the questions that textual criticism answers is this, is how do we know the Bible we have is accurate? Like, how do we know that these are all the right books? How do we know that someone didn't, like, change things in between? Like, it's been a long time since the Bible we have here versus what we used to have. And so when we're trying to figure those questions out, what textual critics will use is what's called manuscript evidence. So they're actually going to look at different manuscripts. And so there's actually a science to this. It's not an art. Here's how this works. And this, again, it's not just for the Bible. It's for any ancient document. And so what they do is, or this is what text critics say. They say this. The more copies that you have that are written closer to the actual event, the more accurate those documents are in representing what happened historically. So remember, in the ancient world, there was no copy machine. Okay? What they would have is scribes. So what these scribes would do is they would get the original manuscripts and they would copy them and they would send them all over the ancient world. Now, remember, like, we don't have the original manuscripts of the Bible, but we have all these copies. But I want to look at and see how we, they stack or how they're compared to other manuscripts in the ancient world, okay? Hang with me. This is going to get a little deep. We're going to get a little nerdy. Is that okay? Can we get a little nerdy, folks? All right, we're going to get a little nerdy here. Okay, so this is a chart. I have a chart. Look at this. This is fun. So we have different sections here. We have the manuscripts. We're going to look at a couple different manuscripts. The end of the event. So when did this thing end historically? How many copies of the events that we're talking about are here? And then what's the earliest that we have? Let's start with Plato, right? We, we know Plato. Uh, he, his, the, the kind of like the wrap-up of that, when it was all historically done, I think was this date. It was... 350 BC. So that was the last kind of uh, historic event from Plato that we have captured here. And we have seven copies of the works of Plato. So that's like the Republic, Phaedrus, all that kind of stuff. But the earliest copy is from this, 895 AD. So if you do the math here, that's like 1,200 years between when the event ended and the earliest manuscript that we have. That's a pretty big gap. Let's look at this next one. This is Julius Caesar's The Gaelic Wars. Julius Caesar, we know, was the, the emperor of Rome. And this whole event ended in 50 BC. And we have 10 copies of the Gaelic Wars. But here's what's interesting. The earliest copy that we have is 950 AD. I mean, you could do the math. It's a pretty big gap. Then there's Tacitus. He was a historian. He wrote a book. Check this out. It was called History. Easy to remember. Okay. So he wrapped this up in 117 AD. And we have two copies. Two copies. And the earliest is from 850 AD. Now, pause real quick. Plato, Gaelic Wars, Tacitus' histories. These are all taught in universities, in colleges, right? Like, like they're taught, they're not in Christian college. They're like, and these are seen as historical facts. These like are narratives, right? So let's look at the New Testament now. Okay, the New Testament, the events of the New Testament that we have in Scripture is wrapped up by 95 AD. Okay, real quick. How many copies of the New Testament do you think we have? Just shout it out. Uh, one million. That's a lot. Yeah. A thousand. Check this out. We have 5,700 copies of the New Testament. And check this out. The earliest one that we have is 135 AD. That's 40 years between the events and the actual, the earliest copy that we have. So from a textual critic perspective, the Bible that you hold in your hands is 99.5% accurate. So what is in here is pretty much what is in the original manuscripts, the original texts, Greek and Greek, Hebrew and um, Aramaic. 
Those are the three biblical languages. So I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Nathan, what about that 0.5%? If there's going to be change in that 0.5%, is that going to mess me up? Well, textual critics actually have a name for these 0.5%. They're called variants. Variants. Any Disney Plus fans out here? Oh, I get, I get like, a, like a football thing. What's it called? Field goal. Anyway, I don't know what's happening. It's, it's the heat. I don't know what's happening. Um, if you've watched Disney Plus's Loki, you know that there was like an original Loki, and then there was like a copy of that Loki, and it's called a variant, and they're trying to eliminate all the variants. Like, you guys can watch that on Disney Plus on your own time. That's, that's not for today. But anyway, there are these variants that, again, it's 0.5%. And here's the thing. Remember, we have scribes who are people, and they're making copies. And they're making copies of copies of copies. Now, what will sometimes happen is a scribe, they're making a copy, and they'll maybe spell a word wrong. Or maybe a scribe is really, really tired, and he'll write the same sentence twice. Or, you know, he'll write the same sentence twice, something like that. And so, so, so what happens is, like, these manuscripts, they'll, they'll kind of look at the, all the differences, and they'll be able to see what some of the differences are. And now you've probably heard people say, well, the Bible's full of mistakes, there's all these uh, problems with it. Let me show you one of these problems and see how it shakes your faith. The first one is in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. It says this, We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Okay? So this is actually, if you open your Bible in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, you'll probably get a little, like, asterisk that says there's a footnote to this, and say this is in, like, the majority of the manuscripts, but in the earliest ones, it says this, we were like infants among you. So gentle and like infants. Those are two different words. They're a letter off. And I know what some of you are thinking. See, Nathan, the Bible is full of contradictions. It's to- I can't trust it. It's got all these mistakes. Uh, listen, listen. These are scribal errors. We know what they are. And here's the thing. Here's the reality. None of them impact any of the major doctrines of the Christian faith. None of them impact any major teachings about Jesus. I mean, you'll see things like, you know, one man will say Jesus Christ. Another one will say Christ Jesus. That's the, 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 that's the majority of it. So these variants, they don't shake our faith as much as we think they do. Because remember, this book, it is God-breathed. The book that we have in our hands today is preserved by the Holy Spirit for, that's useful for, for correcting and teaching and rebuking and, and all these things. So, so maybe one of you you're also thinking, okay, Nathan, all right, like, I get the Bible, what the Bible says about itself. Okay, you've got some good historical stuff around it, but, but why should I trust this book to di- direct my life? Well, here's where I want to talk about what the Bible is and what the Bible is not. I love uh, the definition that Tim Mackey, the author, the, the founder of the Bible Project, gives for, like, what the Bible is. He says this. He says, it's a small library of 66 books written by over 40 authors, over three continents, in three languages, over 1,500 years, with one united story, a single theme, and that is Jesus. So the Bible is not one book. It is many books. It is a library of books that instructs us how to live our lives. In fact, the Old Testament, which is called the Tanakh in Hebrew, that's part of that, as well as the the New Testament writings, the writings of the apostles or the early church leaders. These are the oldest documents that we have about our life and our faith. And in fact, here's what we know. They all point to Jesus. The Bible doesn't point to itself. The Bible points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus from page one all the way to the end of the book. That's what it's all about. In fact, Jesus is the one who tells us that. Look what he says to his disciples in Luke chapter 24. He says this, Beginning with Moses, 
So starting in Genesis, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Y'all, I wish I was a fly on the wall for this conversation. Like literally, Jesus is like saying, hey, I'm here in Genesis, I'm here in Exodus, Numbers, I'm even in Leviticus. I'm, I'm in the part where it talks about removing mold. I am in this book. Uh, guys, this is what Scripture is. Scripture is the story of how God created us and He loved us, but we sinned, we rebelled, we walked away from Him. And yet He pursued us. He raised up a nation called Israel. And this nation was to re represent God to the world, but they failed. And so God Himself came as a man, as Jesus, and He came and He died for our sins to, to, to bridge the gap between us and God so that we can have eternal life and that we can join Him in the restoration of all things. That is the story of Scripture. Can I get an amen, church? Can we give God a praise? This is the God of the Bible that we worship. And it doesn't point to itself, it points to Jesus. He is the King of all things. But I think what sometimes happens, that's what the Bible is. What sometimes happens is we, we kind of get lost in what the Bible is and what the Bible is not. So real quick, there's just two things I want to point out. One, the Bible is not a science textbook. Okay? Sometimes there's like this, what I would say, it's an unwarranted battle between science and the Bible. I think science is answering one question and the Bible is answering another. Science is asking the question of how. How does water from hydrogen and oxygen come together? The Bible is answering the question of why and even who. Who is the author of all things? You see, sometimes we try to go to the Bible and make it this science textbook, but that's not what it is, right? There's some great conversations we can have about the age of the earth, seven days, or, or all those different things, and they're great conversations, but at the end of the day, the Bible cares more about who and the why, those bigger questions. You can still ask those questions, they're great conversations, those are great secondary issues, but it's not the main thing when it comes to the scriptures. The second thing is that the Bible's not a book of moral codes. Now, hold on for a second. You might be thinking, but Nathan, aren't there moral codes in the Bible? Isn't there like law? There is. But remember, the whole story of Scripture, it's not about moral codes. In fact, you know, I'll sometimes talk to people who aren't Christians who say, Nathan, I live by the Bible like I read a proverb a day, and these principles are great. And listen, you can live a great life by taking the principles of Scripture and living them out. But you miss the whole point of what Scripture's about. It's about the story of Jesus and his heart for you and how he transforms you through his word. And, and I think we need to be careful that, again, even though the Bible has these aspects, to boil it down and reduce it to one thing or the other. But if we take the Bible as it is, as the unified story that points to Jesus, here's how I'd answer the question about can we trust the Bible? Yes. I think we can trust the Bible. It tells all the things we need about life and godliness. And it's not just because of the archaeological evidence. It's not because of what Scripture says about itself. Guys, I can tell you, as I read this book, and as I apply it to my life, it changes me. It changes me from the inside out. And you talk to anyone who's in this room or who's watching online, who's reading the Scriptures on a regular basis, it's transformational. So maybe you're here or you're watching right now, maybe you're a little bit on the fence of, I don't know if I can trust the Bible, like, I'm not sure what I'm going to... Here's where I want to challenge you. Would you consider putting your trust in the Bible? Maybe you're not fully sure yet, maybe you're at like 75%. Well, take that 75% and say, I'm going to trust the Bible. In fact, I want to encourage you to step towards Scripture. Take a step towards God's Word. And so here's the thing. I want to kind of show you a little bit how to do that here. 
So I want to give you like a couple of tips and tricks on how you can kind of step towards God's word. The first is this. I want to encourage you to get a hard copy of the Bible. Now listen, I love digital apps and I've got a bunch on my phone. You should definitely have a digital app. But there's something about having a hard copy that if you like lay it like on your like nightstand, you're kind of like, I better read it or something, right? So get a hard copy of the Bible. And if you're like, well, Nathan, like, uh, like I can't afford a, a, a hard copy of the Bible, I've got great news. There's one right in front of you. In fact, you can take it. In fact, you can take all the hard copies of the Bibles we have here and give them to a friend. Take one for yourself and hand it out. So I want to encourage you, go ahead, take a Bible because we want to give it away. The second kind of tip and trick is this, is to read the Bible literarily, not just liter literally. You see, I think it's important because sometimes we've been taught that we have to read the Bible a certain way. But the Bible is actually made up of different books that are different genres. There's books that are poetry. There's books that are history. There's books that are law. There's books that are genealogy. There's some books like Genesis. It's a mixture of all those things. So it's really important that we read the Bible as a work of literature because that's how we understand. We have to understand what the original uh, authors were saying so we can know how it speaks to us. And if you want a great resource for that, check this out. On Right Now Media... The Bible Project has a great group of videos called How to Read the Bible. They're five minutes long each. And you read, watch each one of these videos, it's going to give you some more in info on how you can read the Bible, how you can interpret the Bible. I really love the Bible Project. I think it's a great resource. If you're like, Nathan, where do I find it? Well, you can Google it or you can, on your way out, you can grab one of these half sheets of paper in the back with our Right Now Media QR code. And we're giving this away free to everybody, so you can go ahead and click on this. And not only do you have access to the Bible Project, you actually have access to thousands and thousands of resources, uh, Christian kids shows, things like that that you can use to grow in your faith as well as those of others. Next thing is to read it with others. See, friends don't let friends read the Bible alone, okay? The Bible is actually meant to be read in community. Uh, this summer, our city group is actually reading through the book of James together. And it's been awesome. Like, we're reading through the book together. We're, we're listening to what people are saying as they read it out loud. And it's really challenging us. And we're able to challenge one another and encourage one another with the reading of Scripture. So I encourage you, join a city group and read the Scriptures together. And then finally, do what it says. Do what it says. It, it, it's not just enough to know the Bible or have all the information. You have to do what it says. That's where the transformation happens. That's where you go from, well, this is theoretical, to a step of faith where God changes. If all you do is take in more and more information, more and more knowledge, it's like calories, right? Calories are good. Like they help you like stay healthy. But too many calories and, you know, you, you kind of, it turns into fat and you're unhealthy, right? I know all about that with food. But the same thing happens with knowledge. Spiritual unhealth, there's a name for it. When we have more knowledge that, we are, that we're doing. It's called hypocrisy. We can say all the right things and believe all the right things, but we also need to live the way that God calls us to. So don't just read about it, be about it. And I want to give us a reminder before the worship team comes up, and it's this. Reading the Bible is good for you. It's good for you. In fact, there are all these studies that have found that a habit of regular Bible reading actually is beneficial for your health. In fact, check this out. This is from Christianity Today. Trauma-informed Bible reading reduces depression, anxiety, and anger. And they did this research into Virginia jail. So reading the scriptures, it's not just good for your soul. It's good for your entire being. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're like, I need to get back to reading scripture on a regular basis. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm trying to figure out if I need to trust, if I can even trust the Bible. I want to encourage you. 
Give it, a, give it a shot. Take a risk and see how God's word can transform you from the inside out. Let me pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word. It is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. You can divide between our deepest motivations. And only your word can transform us from the inside out. And so God, as we read your word, will you show us Jesus? From the words of Genesis to the words of Revelation. Will will you help us, God, not just read the word, but be doers of the word? Will you help us, God, take your word seriously and, and trust it? Even when it seems kind of weird or it's kind of goofy, we choose to trust you. And so, Father, as we worship you, God, would you remind us that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Will you light our way the rest of today? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.